Hello and welcome to Killing It the Crimecast, our fourth episode. I am Lux. And I am Sam. And this podcast is just us talking about murder, basically. Yeah, we're going to, uh, if this is your first time listening, we're each going to choose uh, a serial killer or a, or an individual killer and tell tell the other person about it. Hopefully it's one they haven't heard before. Yeah, that's our aim. Um, so we have a couple of corrections to make. Mm-hmm. A little bit of housekeeping. Yeah, do you want to go first with yours? Yes, yeah, so I was informed that my, on the very first episode, I did a, a, a gentleman named Robert Badella, who was the butcher of Kansas City. And because obviously I'm from England, I know nothing about America. Apparently it's not Kansas City, Kansas. It's Kansas City, Missouri. Yeah. So that's that's a thing that we did wrong. I have to correct. So Robert Badella is actually a gentleman from Missouri. Uh, apologies if we misled anyone. Yeah. Well, I've got a little correction. Well, not not exactly a correction, but something that I should have mentioned last week is that my story, which was the murder of Dee Dee Blanchard by her daughter, Gypsy Rose Blanchard. Super messed up. Well, Gypsy's boyfriend, technically. Um, it was really messed up, messed up and it was quite sad. And I feel bad that I didn't tell Sam about the happy ending. Um, so I told him afterwards and he's like, you should definitely say that in your yeah, corrections. It was such a sad story. It was really depressing. And you just left out the happy ending. Yeah, so, you know, Gypsy is in prison, but she's back in contact with her dad now. And she's in contact with her stepmother. And apparently she was, she's got a good relationship with them. And she was talking to one of her cellmates. And she said that, oh, you know, one day I want to have family, etc., etc. And the girl said, well, aren't you worried you're going to end up being abusive like your mother was because you've not really had anything else to go by you don't really know what a normal family structure is and she said no I do because I have a new mum now and she's great meaning her stepmom it's It's like such a lovely ending so cute and so she's really you know she's trying to get back on track which is lovely that is nice and it's uh, that would have been great to have last week yeah (laughs) because it was so sad it was really sad yeah, so apologies for not including that last week. But if you are listening to this one after having listened to the last week episode, Gypsy's doing better. She's got a nice family. Hopefully when she gets out, she'll be able to create her own family and, and not be abusive. And to clarify, Dee Dee is still dead. <laughs> yeah, they flushed her okay, toilet. Okay, yeah. yeah, they flushed her. <laughs> right down the toilet. Uh, right, should we get started? That's all. I don't have any more things to say. Mm, did we have more housekeeping? I don't think so. I think we're all good. No, we only fucked up I think twice. We're good to go. Excellent. Yeah. Right, so uh, I'm going to start this week. Uh, my guy is uh, hitting pretty close to home. He's a gentleman who is active here in London. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, his name Wait, was... Wait, is active currently? Is, no, no. That would be super weird, because I was just about to tell you his name. I was just like, yeah, we know his name. We know where he is. We know what he's done. And uh, he's just still doing it. Just roaming around? We just haven't got around to it. Uh, no, his, he was active in... Uh, he was active between 1943 and 1953. Oh, we um, were not alive. Yeah, he has we, no threat to us. No, he's he's of no threat to me. And he's dead now, so he can't find me. I don't know why he would, but he can't, which is nice to know. Excellent. Um, His name was John Christie. He was a serial killer who was active in London uh, during that time, I said, 1943 to 1953. Oh, do we want to play the game? Uh, The the game where I have to say what, what sort of killer he was. Yeah, so you um, you tell me two serial killers he was similar to, and I'll tell you what I think he did. Okay, in terms of his, okay, I'd I'd say in terms of his psychology, mm-hmm. as in his intention for the killing, he's a bit Andre Chikatilo. Okay. In that his it was because of uh, 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 the same reason. Mm-hmm. In terms of his method, I'd say it's very Bundy. 
And in terms of his dealing with the body, he's quite gacy. Okay. Yeah. So it's got a bunch of bodies under floorboards and then in like, um, what are they called? Like, not creep holes. Crawl space. Crawl space. But they are just holes where creeps put things. So a creep hole works too, doesn't creep it? Creep hole, yeah. Um, you know what? I don't actually know. Why didn't yeah. you tell me something? I'm going I'm to move on. But yeah. I think, I think. We'll, Why don't you we'll, tell we'll, me what he did instead yeah, we'll of guessing? Uh, he killed a minimum of eight people, uh, including his own wife. Um, right, so his early life. He was born um, John Reginald Halliday Christie in uh, 1899 in Yorkshire. Now, like, okay, so I'm, I had this struggle, and I was telling you about this earlier. Mm. I had this struggle trying to figure out what his voice would sound like. Because according to the details and looking at his picture, he sounds like, Hello, I'm John Reginald Christie. Like, really... Like, so fancy that it's clogging up his mouth. Yeah. But in my head, like, the second you have a name like that, I picture him as like, Hello, I'm John Reginald Halliday Christie. But he's from Yorkshire. <laughs> yeah, that's, see, that's very true. I never even pictured it like that, because he was active in London. Yeah. He was probably just like, you're right, John Reginald Halliday Christie. I think that's more accurate. Yeah, or like, you know, so I'm going to try and not do his voice. But no, do if, it, do it. If I do, it's probably going to be the second one. It's probably going to be like, good bloody evening. Reginald Halliday Christie at your <laughs> service, sir. No. Probably just clipped all of our mics, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, he was the second youngest of seven children. Uh, he had a He had a really rough childhood, but it was not like as bad as a lot of other killers. Like, he had an abusive father and he was sort of verbally bullied by his siblings and his mother. But it wasn't, like, horrific. I mean, everyone gets shit from their family, don't they? Uh, okay, I mean, compared to serial killers. He had a very... I, I'm not saying it's, oh, oh, he shouldn't complain, he had a fine childhood. I'm saying compared to, like, Henry Lee Lucas, who mm. was beaten and forced to watch his mother, like, be a sex worker. Oh, yeah. And, like, was physically very violently abused compared to that. No, but I'm saying even compared to the average person, everyone gets teased by their siblings a bit. No, no, no. This, this, it was legit He did abuse. not have a good childhood okay, at okay. all. Like, I'm not going to compare that the to normal The way you phrased people. it sounds like they called him a poopy head and he was like, this is abuse! Mother, I won't stand for this! <laughs> yeah. See, that's so much better. I love that voice. Yeah, it's definitely um, the good one. It was a bad upbringing. Okay. Uh, but he was, this is quite a, quite a nice thing, which it, this seems very not serial killery, but he was known as Reggie. Little Reggie? Why Lil Reggie? Well, not Lil Reggie. That's just me oh, okay. putting on the Lil Reggie because he was a Lil Reggie. Um, he was described as being a strange boy who was very reclusive. Uh, he didn't have a lot of friends. Poor Lil Reg. Uh, when he was eight, he recalls seeing his grandfather's corpse in an open coffin funeral and recalls that it was incredibly profound to see the corpse of a person who had previously frightened him. Hmm. Sort of like the beginnings. When he was eight, Like that's the beginnings of his... Sort of seeing people dying who uh, frightened him, or people dying who he had negative opinions of. He it was he re literally describes it quote as like profound. So it's so it's sort of understanding that even these big scary people aren't all powerful because yeah. death can defeat them. Sort Absolutely, of yeah. Feeling okay. Sort of seeing death being a solution to his problems. Yeah, uh, he was very very intelligent. Uh, when he was 11, he won a scholarship to Halifax Secondary School. Um, and it was later found out he had an IQ of 128, which is in the top, like, 0.01%. The average is, like, 110? The average is between 85 and 115. Yeah. Is the average. Uh, I think it's something like 87% of the population of the world sit in that. The bell curve is very steep. Wow. Um, yeah. 
So that's sort of like, that's little Reggie. That's his upbringing. That's uh, John Christie. Uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to start like moving into how he became a serial killer. Okay. Um, this is a very common thing. And this is sort of why I brought up Andre Chikatilo. Like him, like Richard Chase, so many other serial killers. He was impotent. Oh. Could not have sex. Um, he, he, he couldn't perform. And this led to... <laughs> his little Reggie was, was floppy. His little, little Reggie. Little Reggie's little, little Reggie. Yeah. Um, but actually, like, his, his school friends came up with better nicknames. Oh, tell me. Because uh, this affliction led to Christie's adolescent nicknames, Can't Do It Christie, and my personal favourite, Reggie No Dick. Oh my God, I love them so much. <laughs> I love those. Little Reggie No Dick. I know it's not fun. Like it's not. We're not taking the piss out of people who are into that's obviously what a horrible thing to do. Can't do it, Christy. That's my favorite. I love it. I prefer Reggie Nodick just because it has no imagination. They haven't even figured out what impotent means. Yeah, but I think it's quite original for for kids. For me, what can't do it, Christy? Yeah. Yeah, that that's that's what I was thinking. That's a really good name. Really good. But Reggie Nodick. Uh, when Christy was eighteen, he joined the military. And uh, one year later, in 1918, kind of important year for the military, he was dispatched to France, but he was injured in a mustard gas attack, and he spent a month in a military hospital. Uh, the injury made Christie unable to speak loudly, much more than a whisper, for the rest of his life. Wow. Which makes the whole, like, Reginald Christie, makes that voice, like, less believable. Oh, yeah. I mean, we, me, we know it's fake. I, it's I know that his voice is definitely like, Reginald Christie. And with a Yorkshire accent. Yeah. Um, some psychologists believe that Christie had like a quite a severe personality disorder. I mean, he definitely had something wrong right. with him, um, which meant he he um, it caused him to exaggerate like a lot his mm. stories. Uh, so they think that like he could have just kept up a quiet voice for his whole life for this story. Also, oh he said. Gosh. Also, he said he was blind for like a year and a half after that. But after the month he spent in hospital, like a month later, he went back into general forces in the military and they wouldn't have taken him back if he was blind. Yeah. Th so what, he just wants to, is it narcissistic maybe? I don't know. Could uh, it be narcissistic it, it, personality disorder? It could disorder? be promoted based on like just the fact that he feels the need to have these stories to be interesting. I guess it's a compensation thing, you know, to make up for the fact that potentially... <laughs> I mean, it's it's can't do it, Christy. <laughs> I I'm laughing at the name because, like you know, impotence is such like a is a joked about thing, but it's like it's like it can like really mess with people's heads. But and it's the like, thing that I find funny is the fact that he's like, my dick doesn't work. I know. I'll tell everyone I'm blind. That'll make me interesting. And yeah, it's that... like, no. Why don't you just like get a reputation for being really good in bed in other ways, or why don't you just become like a really good military personnel? whatever like why the blind thing and the whisper thing they seem like really weird ways to compensate for your yeah. dick not working yeah it does seem like a strange thing to do yeah. but i mean killing eight people is also a strange thing to do so i mean i'm not going to try and read into this gentleman's logic yeah uh so in his later life in 1920 he married a woman named ethel simpson there's a lot of great names in this story great names like ethel simpson what an outstanding one um his problems of impotence were still very much an issue and uh, was part of the reason they separated four years later. After his separation, Christie moved to London and became a big fan of sex with uh, of sex workers mm -hmm. and uh, petty crime. Now, as you may say, why would you be a fan of sex workers if you're impotent? 
sex workers were the only people Christy could perform with. Okay. That, that actually people. makes a lot of sense. Which means uh, in, uh, in, a, um, in an autopsy of John Christie after he died, they found that there was nothing physically wrong with his penis. <laughs> you were going to say that's like, there was no sperm left because he had all the sex with all the sex work. No, he, there was just nothing wrong. So it was a psychological affliction. Yeah. So, so uh, 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 it shows that he has, like a, he has a low opinion of sex workers and he could only perform with people who he like didn't value their opinion. Because he's actually quoted as saying, all my life I've had this fear of appearing ridiculous as a lover. Yeah, uh, that makes complete sense to me. It's a lot less embarrassing to do something when you either know that people aren't going to judge you because they've seen worse. Like when you go to a masseuse and you're like, at least I'm not like a wrinkly old man. Like, yeah. and, and sort of society's really horrible opinion mm. of uh, sex workers is really detrimental to their like sort of well-being. But the sort of societal idea of, who they are and, you know, referred to as the less dead, but even when they're alive, people mm. like consider them less human, which is a horrible thing. But clearly this guy just didn't care about their opinions. I mean, it could have stopped there. That could have been his happy ending. I know I it think, didn't. I think, I think the sex workers gave him his happy ending. Multiple times. Hey. Um, right, so now I'm going to talk to you about the crimes. Uh, I said he became a fan of sex workers and petty crimes. Uh, he had a lot of petty crimes. A lot of petty crimes. Let so, me guess. Wait, let me guess. So theft... Arson? No. No. Oh. Theft? Bang on. He's not a traditional serial killer. Like, okay. he kills a lot, but he doesn't seem to have, like... He does have one thing that never changes in his method, but he's kind of, like... He, he loves crime. He loves stealing. But he, he doesn't really fit into the triad. There's no thing of, like, a head injury. He never... Uh, like, there's no reports of him wetting the bed. Like, he didn't mutilate and torture animals. Like, none of that. Okay. Um, so in 1921, while he was still with his wife, so he separated with his wife in 1924, uh, while he was working as a postman, he was arrested for stealing postal orders. Um, my age is really showing because I had to look up what postal orders were. It's basically just a, an, an archaic way to send money via post. Okay. And he stole them, which is incredible. It seems like an incredibly English crime. And also, it's like a federal offence to open anyone's mail regardless of what's in it. So Yeah. So, I mean, you know, he was arrested for that. and he spent, Very naughty. He spent three months in prison. In 1923, again, still with his wife, he was arrested for obtaining money under false pretenses and violent conduct. Uh, there's not really a lot of information about what that was. But, Probably um, a mugging, though. Quite possibly, yeah. Uh, for this, he was put on probation for a year. In 1924, uh, this is when he, when he like broke loose, because this is when he left his wife. Uh, he committed several crimes of larceny, and was sentenced to nine months in jail. Okay, I always get confused with what larceny is. Larceny is theft of personal property. Okay, literally every time I hear that word, I have to Google it again. It's so embarrassing. And grand larceny is like when you do it, but you're like really flamboyant when you do it. You're wearing like sequins and stuff. Yeah, larceny mm. is like, give me your wallet. Larceny is like, smoke machine. Give me your wallet. That's Maybe. definitely the legal definition. I'm not even going to have to Google it. Yeah, don't Google that. Uh, in 1929, he was convicted of assaulting a sex worker who he was living with in London by hitting her over the head with a cricket bat. Mm, Again, very British. Very British crime. He was sentenced to six months hard labour. Uh, this is my this is my personal favourite. In in 1933, he was convicted of stealing a car from a priest who he had befriended. He made friends with his priest and stole his car. Uh, after this last stint in prison, Ethel, his uh, his wife, clearly saw the good in him. 
because of all of this and they got back together. Wait, really? No. She, oh. They did get back together, but like I was being facetious. She definitely didn't see the good in him. No, but the really bit was about them getting back together. Yeah, they got back together. It was super weird. Huh. Um, and they moved into a flat in Notting Hill in 1937, which now is a lot nicer. At the time was squalid is the word that's used a lot in these articles. Yeah, and uh, although they were back together, Christie still continued to see sex workers. All right, now we're going to get onto the good stuff. We're going to get onto the uh, the proper meat of this roast dinner. Uh, we're getting onto the murders. So, uh, six years go by without any large prison time. Nothing really major happens. But in 1943, Christie would commit his first murder. Okay, mm. I'm ready. On the 24th of August, he invited a 21-year-old sex worker named Ruth Forrest... First. First. So it's like you're saying forest, but you've got. A it's slur. literally the word forest spelt with a U. First. First. I, I love it. I'm not, I'm unsure. Uh, to his house to have sex with him while his wife was visiting relatives. Uh, he recalls that he met her while soliciting clients in a snack bar, which seems really weird to me. Um, I didn't know that like being a fan of snacks was correlative with a propensity for engaging with sex workers. Well, you get hungry after. Fair, actually. That is an excellent Post-question point. snack. And you don't want a full meal. No, exactly. Wow. Well, yeah. That was I just I was just making a little joke, but you 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 made sense of this. Yeah. They're not they're not idiots, Samuel. <laughs> so, uh, he had sex with Forrest and afterwards he uh, strangled her with a length of rope. He stowed her body under the floorboards and then after dark he buried her body in the back garden. In his back garden. Yeah, in his back garden. I find it so weird when killers do that. It's like you know, you know, when people say like, "Oh, that was right in my back garden," meaning like, "Oh, it was so close by." Yeah. Literally, how guilty can you get when it's it, like actually in your backyard? Yeah, but I, I kind of understand the reasoning because if you did it at a public park, who is who other than you is most likely to be in your garden? He was living in London. Throw her in the Thames, like obviously. You know, just don't kill her in the first place. But throw her in the Thames. No, because then she'll get found. Yeah, but that's These fine. bodies were only found after he confessed and was caught. Oh, right? okay. So your garden is your private property. You have full reason not to let anyone go there. You bury it in a park. You have no jurisdiction over who goes there. You throw it in the river. You don't control the tides. This guy's not Poseidon. He can't make sure <laughs> these bodies never get found. They could just wash up. No, but I was thinking if they do get found, you can just say you had nothing to do with it. Whereas if, for whatever reason, someone does go into your garden and, and like, say you were acting weird and the police got a warrant, went into your garden, literally, what can you say? A fair point, but it's high risk, high reward. You know, the risk is that, like, if you get suspicion thrust upon you, mm. but the high reward is that, like, no Chances one's gonna are be... no one's going to be able to find a body yeah, and then no link body. that to you. They have to link you to something and then they'll find a body. Yeah, and it's hard to link you when it's a sex worker and you don't know who, who she's seen that day. And Yeah. Yeah, okay, fair. So uh, he buried her in the back garden, which uh, you think is a bad idea. I, I think makes sense, kind it's of. It's in this circumstance, it was the right move. Okay. Congrats, well, yeah. Lil Reggie. Um, by this point in 1943, Christie was in the War Police Reserves as a pol special constable. So basically the people who stay behind while uh, other men go off to fight in the okay. war and they stay behind and they run the police precinct and things like that. Um, but he resigned very shortly after this murder. Fair. Uh, in 1944, he found a job as a clerk at a radio factory in East Action, which is where he met his second victim, a colleague named Muriel Edie. Okay, so Again, not a sex worker. Great name. 
No, 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 not 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 just not not, not a sex I th- worker. I thought it was going to be a trend. O- only some of them are sex workers. Okay. I mean, obviously there is a there is a correlation as you know, less dead. Uh, you have a because Green River Killer only did sex workers, didn't he? Yeah, and he got to like eighty. Mm. Uh, so this is the second murder on October seventh, nineteen forty-four. He invited Edie back to his flat uh, with the pretense that he had invented a special mixture which would cure the bronchitis that she suffered from. What? Yeah. He was like, he literally said like, Edie, hello, I've invented a magical concoction. Come back to my house and feel the breeze on your nostrils. (laughs) Can I also just say, like bronchitis is not worth following a man that you hardly know into his home when when you're like physically weaker than him. But remember, this is... 1944, London, during World War Two, bronchitis could kill you. Do you know what I mean? Like without, without. But easy so could access. the man. Yeah, but like you're surrounded by men. I'm not constantly surrounded by bronchitis. Yeah. Uh, he Christie. This is actually really devious. It's it's crazy. Uh, Christie presented Edie with a jar with a tube sticking out of it, and she was supposed to inhale the vapors that were coming out of the liquid that it contained. Uh, the liquid was actually just Friar's balsam, which is just like a medicinal tincture, just mm. like something you smell. And it, you know, uh, this was used to cover the smell of domestic house gas. Oh! So while Edie was breathing in the vapors, he inserted a second tube into the jar without her noticing, and connected it to a gas tap. Very sly. Yeah. So while Edie was breathing in those vapors, he did that, and he turned the tap on. So she started breathing in all the domestic gas, which at the time, it was 15% carbon monoxide. Like, very poisonous. Very toxic. It seems weird that he's doing such a detached one, seeing as the first one was a strangulation, which is quite Ah, up close and personal. But wait. Oh, okay. She passed out because of this, and then Christy uh, raped her body and strangled her to death. Oh, we forgot to do content warnings. I knew we forgot to do something at the beginning. There's rape and strangulation. (laughs) Um, and she, he buried her body in the garden right next to Forrest's body. Uh, yeah, pretty rough. Got his own little graveyard going. Pretty rough stuff. Uh, I'll move on to the next couple. Uh, so the, these two are together. This is very weird. So this is murder three and four. Interestingly, there was a year between the first two murders, but then there was a five-year gap between the second and the third. Okay. Which is strange because most serial killers sort of slowly develop shorter and shorter gaps mm. as they escalate. Whereas his uh, have seemed to have, until the near the end, his escalation isn't particularly evident. Maybe it was just a convenience thing then. Again, but as then I said at least eight victims, maybe it was also the fact that we don't know if there were more. Yeah, There true. could have been more. These are the only ones he admitted to, though. Okay. Um, in 1949, a man named Timothy Evans, who was John Christie's neighbor, reported to police that his wife, Beryl, and his daughter, Geraldine, were dead. Great names. Great names. The police arrived at the scene, uh, which was a nearby like outdoor wash house for the block of flats they lived in. Uh, and they found the bodies of Beryl Evans, whose body had been wrapped in a blanket, and Geraldine Evans, his daughter. Uh, That's so sad them, to lo- lose both of them at the same yeah. time. Both Oosh. of them had been strangled to death, and Beryl had been physically abused before her death. It was also found that Beryl was 16 weeks pregnant. Oh, no. So he's technically lost three people then. Well, it depends on whether you're pro-life or not. Well, no, come on. But that's the potential of a baby for him. So it's not yeah. only that, you know, his wife is dead, but it's, oh my God, we could have been having another kid. Yeah, that's it's, so it's extra sad. Extra sure. sad, yeah. Uh, so, okay, so now this, this is, it, things get a little fuzzy around here. This is very relevant, though. Um, basically, Evans claims that Christie 
was the murderer. Mm-hmm. And he said he'd killed his wife during a botched abortion. Oh, so they did not want the baby anyway. Okay. Oh, mm. maybe, uh, less sad. Less yeah. sad, though. That's the so, plus side. Yeah, so Evan said that he'd asked Christy, or uh, Christy had offered to do a sort of at-home abortion. Mm. Um, which is interesting because I didn't know that to properly abort a fetus, you, do, you don't, not only do you have to try and get to the fetus through the neck with a rope, <laughs> but you also have to kill the patient's other children. Oh, yeah. That's how it works. That's the only way you can truly get rid of a fetus. Abortion just means, you know, murdering an entire family, yeah, right? It's more like an exorcism. Yeah. Like you've got to go, you've got to do the whole shebang, mm-hmm. you know, all of the bits. Uh, but then again, you know, I'm not a doctor and nor was Christy who offered to give a fucking abortion. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, to be fair, this is one of the reasons I'm pro-choice. Literally, this would happen again if abortion was made illegal because people just went, oh, I know how to do it. And you don't have to have like, you don't have to be a doctor. People are so desperate that they just go, okay, do it then. Like, if you say that you know how, I literally have no other option. And if I can't find someone who's got you know, a degree in medicine to do it, I might as well turn yeah, to you. Yeah, I completely agree. It's, other, it's either that or have a baby that you don't want. So, yeah. so um, after police questioning, uh, Evans allegedly confessed to the murders himself. But it's pretty much accepted that this was just forged by the police so they could get an easy serve. Because, like, mm. with all due respect to them, they were the reserves while most of the police would have been serving in the war. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, a little bit less respect for them. That's not how police work. No, of course not. But I'm just saying like, I'm saying like, that's probably why that happened. Because these people weren't as highly trained. Like, it makes sense, but it's still wrong. Yeah, of course. I never said it was good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So Evans rescinded this false confession and again blamed Christy, this time just saying he murdered my wife and daughter. He just went, this man murdered my wife and daughter. Uh, Which he definitely did. Uh, Evans was sent to court and guess who the damning testimony came from? Was it Lil Reggie? It was Lil Reggie. Lil Reggie. Lil Reggie No Dick stood up on the podium and concocted this story that Evans had actually murdered his wife and was trying to blame him and had murdered his daughter and was trying to blame him. Uh, Christie was significantly smarter than Evans and managed to sort of mix facts and fiction to confuse Evans. Uh, as well as this, Christie had a great reputation around where they lived, whereas Evans was seen as a bit of like a dullard, like quite a, just a drunk. Mm. So... Christy murders this man's wife and daughter, an unborn child, and then is the person who commits Evans to his fate, which was being hanged until he was dead. So that's just pretty messed up. Yeah. Like he, this poor guy. I think I think that kind of counts as a third murder for me. Like Wait, does Evans get convicted? Yeah, and Evans is convicted and hanged. He oh, is killed. He is executed because of these crimes. Oh, I feel so sorry for this man. Because of Christy, yeah. Right, so his next murder would occur on uh, December 14th, 1952. Uh, So we've got a bit of a gap here, about three-year gap. Um, On December 12th, two days before, uh, 
Ethel Christie, his wife, was seen outdoors chatting with friends. And two days later, on December 14th, as I said, Christie strangled her while she was in bed. He killed his own wife. Mm. Uh, he covered for this by making up several stories explaining her disappearance. He replied to one of her relative's letters saying she had rheumatism, which is like severe joint pain, and she couldn't write letters herself. Uh, to another letter, she wrote that she had, um, he wrote that she had gone to Birmingham, uh, which elicits as much sympathy as having rheumatism. Oh. Uh, one thing that is interesting about this murder is what I think caused it. Because on the 6th of December, literally eight days before he murdered his wife, he left his job. So he, he, he quit his job. He left it, right? And I think this is because he always had like an escape from her. He was always able to go to his job, oh. didn't have to spend that time with her. And then suddenly he is like immersed in her presence right. completely. And he just couldn't handle it. It's like when you get two days off in a row. Can't yeah, handle it. You just can't handle me. Now, but by no means is that victim blaming, but it's just like, because of his severe psychosis, clearly he didn't have that release. And also it's draining to be around any one person, literally constantly. Yeah, but I mean your wife for eight days. Well, I'm just saying. Who you see every day. No, anyway. I'm not saying, I'm obviously not justifying it. I'm just saying, I understand what it's like to be drained. Yeah, like his warped logic has a sort of logical beginning and yeah. then becomes something completely different. Yeah, exactly. The logic of oh, being immersed in your presence, oh, it's kind of trying sometimes. Yeah, I just need some me time. Yeah, exactly. Uh, just me time. <laughs> so after the murder, to support himself, Christie sold his deceased wife's wedding ring, watch, and all of her furniture. Did that not arouse suspicion just a little bit? I mean, well, she died. Like... Uh, she was dead. But she was. he was making up excuses to, to people. Yeah, so like the rheumatism one, that's not an excuse You've to also got to remember ring. that like, he could have just told his neighbours, oh, she died and it sucks. And now I'm selling her stuff because I don't have a job. Yeah, fair enough. And I mean, you know, the parents are away. Like all they have is communication via letter and like telegraph. I, I, I don't know enough about history to know what sort of communication they had. They had iPhones then, right? <laughs> uh, they just didn't have iMessage. Um, but like... Uh, you know, like, he could very easily cover this up. Yeah. Um, every week, he would collect an, an unemployment check. And just over a month after the murder, he forged his wife's signature and completely emptied her bank account. Oh. Mm. So, these last three murders that we know of, murder six, seven, and eight, now he is really ramping up. He's really getting some stuff done. Okay, okay. Uh, he kills three women between January and March of 1953. Okay. Literally within three months, he kills three women. So one a month. That's yeah. solid. You know, he's got a goal. Yeah. He's meeting it. I mean, it's it's pretty crazy. It's literally like, you know, after the death of, death of his wife, like literally the next month after he kills his wife, again, like a lot of serial killers are finally free. You know, in the same way that like Henry Lee Lucas when he killed his mother or... Or Ed Kemper, when he killed his mother, so suddenly free. And they can just the do what thing. they want. Yeah. And also, he's got the house to himself now, so I suppose exactly. he doesn't have to wait for her to go that away. That's another huge part. Mm. Um, the first woman was a sex worker named Kathleen Maloney. Great name. Maloney? I would have gone with like Irish, like Ta Kathleen Maloney. Oh, that's way Kathleen. better. Uh, the second was named Rita Nelson, who was from Belfast. <laughs> uh, but I would have gone with, you know, given the names Rita Nelson and Kathleen Maloney, I'd have said Kathleen was from Belfast, but she was from London. Uh, but the Rita Nelson, who was from Belfast, was visiting her sister in London. She was also six months pregnant. No. I know, it's horrible. Uh, the last victim in this spree was named Hectoria McLennan. Hectoria? What, what a name. 
That is an outstanding name. Um, yeah, uh, Hectoria McLennan. Uh, Christy met her in a cafe and let her and her boyfriend stay at his flat. But she was killed when she was alone with Christy. What did the boyfriend think? Apparently he tried to ask where she went and he was just like, yeah, don't know, mate. Sorry. Oh. On your, on your bike. No <laughs> idea. Didn't kill her or anything. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> All three victims. I should, I should probably like lower the tone. All three victims were exposed to carbon monoxide, just like Muriel Edie, mm. and all were sexually assaulted while unconscious and strangled to death. Now, it, in reading about this this guy, John Christie, uh, Lil Reggie Nodick, a lot of reports say that he was a necrophiliac, but he actually wasn't. He didn't have sex with any of the victims while they were dead. Just passed out. Yeah, so he's actually just a great dude. No. <laughs> nope. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of don't know what's worse... Because for me, the fact that they could come to in the middle of him assaulting them is creepier. Do, does that make sense? So no, it completely makes so, sense. So I, I find him more abhorrent because there is a chance that his victims could regain consciousness. And maybe that even turned him on a little bit. The fact Absolutely. that it was like living on the edge. And to me, that's just so much more gross. Because when I'm dead, I'm, I'm dead. Yeah, I think, I, think, I think necrophilia is more abhorrent to us because it's like this horrific act. Mm. Whereas when we're thinking about sympathy for the victim, we always think unconscious is worse. Yeah. You know, um, which is pretty, it's a horrible comparison. It's like the lesser of two evils. It depends what perspective you're looking from. Like objectively, yeah. we go like, oh, necrophilia is horrible. And it is, of course it is. But when we're looking from the perspective of the victim. Yeah, I'd might... rather be the victim that was killed first. Yeah. Um, so the reason all these victims are grouped is because they seem to have happened in exactly the same way. Uh, the same cause of death, the same factors, and also the bodies were all hidden in the same way. After they were all killed, Christy would put a cloth between their legs, wrap their partially naked bodies in blankets, and put them, stuff their bodies in an alcove behind his kitchen wall. Why the cloth between the legs? I don't know. It's just a detail that was there. Uh, then he covered the alcove with wallpaper. So it wasn't a wall. It was like a, a hole in the wall, and he just put wallpaper over it. Did it not, like, flap in the wind or anything? Was it not a bit suspicious? I mean, he didn't live in the Shire. Like, he lived in London in a flat. He probably just shut his window. No. But, I mean, if it's literally just paper over a hole... I'm sure he glued it's, it. It's not robust, <laughs> is it? I'm sure he glued it. It's not like the like the entrance to a, a, like a Turkish lounge where you just sort of, like, wander through this thin paper wall. It's literally like he wallpapered it shut. Like, if you pushed it, it would be, like, bouncy. But, like... You know, I think he glued everything down. All right, fair enough. So uh, Christie moved out of his flat late March 1953, so literally just after the, those murders. Uh, he was kicked out because he was subletting his flat illegally. Um, so where, after he was kicked out, the landlord allowed the tenant who lived above Christie to use his flat's kitchen. As you might expect. The smell. The tenant discovered, no, the smell, because literally it was like a week. They were The, the bodies were in there for like maximum two and a half months. Oh, I was expecting... Which is a long time. Of course, that's yeah, a long time. Yeah, I was time. expecting the neighbour to notice the smell and for that to be... But I think also at the time, the it was a pretty rough area that oh, smelled London pretty bad. Oh, London stank, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, as you might expect, the tenant discovered that one of the walls was in fact not a wall, but a fucking wallpaper divider into hell. Um, Christie, after hearing the news that the bodies had been discovered... And uh, the police had set out uh, an APB for him mm. and they tried to find him and they knew it was like, mate, there's bodies in your, in your bloody kitchen. We need to find you. He um, 
sort of just wandered around London, spending lots of time in cafes. Like waiting for them to find yeah, him, pretty, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. The police found him after an entire week of him just wandering around so London homeless. So he was homeless. just out there like, come and get me, and it still took them a week. Well, not come and get me. I think he was just, he was accepting his fate. He was still prolonging it. If he was like, come and get me, and he wanted to be caught, he'd have gone to a bloody police station. Fair enough, yeah. But he's just there like, I don't care anymore. It's just sort of listlessly wandering until he gets caught. Um, they found him near Putney Bridge on the 31st of March where he was arrested. Now, this is really, like, kind of messed up. All he had in his possession were some coins and an old newspaper clipping about Timothy Evans, the man he framed for killing his family. That's all the possessions he had. Weird. Really weird. Not even, like, clothes no, and stuff. really weird. It seems like... No, I think it's really weird that he has this one newspaper clipping of this guy. Why would he have that? He's probably really proud of it. I don't know. Is no, it pride or it. guilt? Because his pride, he doesn't. He didn't seem to get... Okay, there's a kind of gross fact, which is he kept the pubic hair of a lot of his victims as like little trophies. But that's not like... That's out of pride. The newspaper clipping. I think that's guilt. I think it's pride. Imagine if you were smart enough to convince a judge and jury that this guy, who definitely did not do a thing did the thing and convinced them so much so that they actually convicted him and killed him. I guess. If if you're someone who's really proud of how smart you are, which he probably was considering he got a scholarship, at, you know, when he was younger it's and all of that, smart. he's probably going to be a little bit proud. Yeah. That's Fair what enough. I think. Um, I've realised I've been running on a long time now. Oh, that's fine. Mine's um, pretty short. I'll, I'll run through this quite quickly. Uh, Christy confessed to seven murders, all of the ones I mentioned except for Beryl Evans, which he merely said he was responsible for her death. He didn't say, I killed her. Right. Uh, for some fucked up reason, Christy was only tried for the murder of his wife. Well, it's probably because they were like, we'll just do him for one and then we'll kill him and that's that done. We don't yeah, have to go through all these other trials. I, I mean, fair, but also like surely just add a bit of evidence for the other people. I mean, I guess it's easier to prove one murder than the others. Yeah, it could it's, have been an evidential of... thing, but like, but again, like, and he actually, yeah, and also this is the only one he tried to cover up with like the letters and things. Oh yeah. It's the only so one there's he tried more to evidence, up. I suppose. He pleaded insanity and claimed that he had a poor memory of the events, but a psychiatric doctor said that he had a hysterical personality but was not insane. Okay. I'm assuming that he doesn't mean hysterically, as in hysterically funny. Like, just a really funny guy. He's a really funny guy, but he's not insane. Super funny guy, not insane. Uh, the jury deliberated for just 85 minutes before finding Christie guilty. And uh, on July 15th, 1953, Christie was hanged until he was dead. Now, this is what I think is amazing, right? Oh, did they put him in a museum or something? Well, I mean, there's a waxwork figure of him in Madame Tussaud. Tussaud, yeah. Really? Yeah, absolutely. In the, like, Hall of Horrors Yeah, in bit. the Hall of Horrors, yeah. <gasps> We can go see it. Yes, let's do it. Um, this is crazy. His last interaction was with the executioner when he complained that his nose itched, to which the executioner replied, it won't bother you for long. Oh my God. It's awesome. And this is amazing. This last little last little fact of this whole story, yeah. the whole story of John, Reggie, no Dick, Christie. A final bit of cosmic justice was that the executioner named Albert Pierpoint was the same man who executed Timothy Evans. Huh. The same man who killed the man Christie framed for the murder of his wife and daughter. Nice. That's a... sort of puts a bow on it, doesn't it? Yeah. that's So that's John Christie, man. That's That was one of the most prolific serial killers active in London. We definitely have to go see his waxwork. Yeah, for sure. We will we'll take pictures, everyone. Don't you worry. And we'll put them up on Instagram. He's a really dull-looking man. 
Yeah, I so mean... So I imagine his waxwork will be quite dull looking as well. But it, it almost doesn't matter. I mean, it's Hall of Horrors, but it's not like it's going to be the clown from It or anything. It's literally just going to be some men and women. Generally speaking, serial killers that's look it. like pretty normal people. Yeah, and or, that's... Or, as a rule. That's part of it, isn't it? Like, he doesn't have fucking horns or anything. No. Not, not got like a lizard tongue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just like, yeah, he was born to be a murderer. Look at that eye patch. Like, he came out like that. Yeah. Um, right, so uh, I want to hear about your guy. All right, let's do it. So my guy, I don't actually have a lot of background info, so I'm going to tell you the story as it unfolds and then reveal the guy when he was captured. Okay, so it's sort cool. of a chronological thing. Um, so New Year's Eve, 1980, Karen Potak went to a party with her sisters. She's like, young gal, just having a nice time at New Year's party. She left uh, the party shortly after midnight, so wasn't staying for long. Um, and then she just headed home and the documentary, I started watching this documentary. I think it was called, it was like case something. Case something. Like it wasn't case file. It might've been like cold cases or something. Something about cases. I don't, I didn't need to remember because I'm not giving it a shout out because it was so victim blaming in this one, the, in the first few minutes of it, I just thought I'm not wanting not to listen to the rest of this. this. Yeah. They said she wandered it. Wandered into the streets alone with a head full of champagne. And I'm like, yeah. And then they like made a big deal about her being drunk. And I'm like... See, that as a line on its own is, fine, is just a fact. But, but like then being all blamey. Yeah, cool. the context in which they did it. I mean, if you probably wrote down the transcript word by word, it wouldn't be too bad. But I found it to be very much... She was real drunk, so... She got attacked, and it's like, well, well, no, she got attacked because this guy's a maniac. Like, mm. Mm, no. oh yeah, content warnings for mine. Guy killed some people. Nailed it. Yep. That's right, continue with your story. Yeah. So she, with a head full of champagne, um, three hours after she's left, so about three in the morning, the police get a call, and here it is. Yes, please. This is an emergency. Police and a squad just on the road. Malmberg Manufacturing Company, Machine Shop. Please, there's an ambulance too. There's a girl hurt there. Can you tell me what happened to her? Just hurry, there's a, she's laid on the ground in the back by the by the railroad tracks by the edge what, What's the address? I don't know. Who are you? So. This guy is known as the weepy-voiced killer. The weepy-voiced killer. Because his voice is quite weepy, which means it's hard to hear what he's saying. But he essentially says, there's a girl hurt here. Come quickly, like, we need help. And then, the, the you know, the police officer says, or the, the 911 responder says, well, what happened? What's wrong with her? And she goes, oh, she's just lying face down near the tracks. And he's essentially calling 911 for help. Yeah. And... He's not confessing to anything. It's him, by the way. Okay, yeah, I mean, yeah, you sort of gave that away when you said, this person has a weepy voice and is called the weepy voice killer. Yeah, um, I mean, it's him. So essentially, he... She, okay, so they find her body naked in a snowbank near the railroad tracks and she'd been beaten over the head with a tyre iron. Jesus. She had severe wounds, including her, her skull being cracked. Oof. I know, so she's got to have been hit pretty hard. Jesus, yeah. Uh, and so she, she suffered a brain injury as a result. But she survived. Okay, okay. And so this 911 call was him just having attacked someone. Didn't, you know, he, he probably didn't know if she was alive or dead because he just cracked her skull. I mean, it's, you know, it's anyone's guess, really, other than a medical professional as to whether she'd survive. Um, but she did. Um, 
and in the 911 call, he's sort of giving them directions. He says he doesn't know the address, but it's near some sort of factory manufacturing company. Okay. Um, which you'll find out later used to be where he worked. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Um, so then we move on to June 1981. So this is a year later, over a year later. Mm -hmm. The police receive another call. This call was from a guy claiming to have stabbed somebody with an ice pick. And here's the call. Oh, you find me? I just stabbed somebody with an ice pick. I can't stop myself. I keep killing somebody. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, finally I just stabbed someone with an ice pick. Oh, my God. What am I going to do? Oh, she's got an ice pick at all. This is why I wanted to show you guys this killer. Oh, my God. I love that. Because I don't have a lot of background on him. But his voice is so far. He's just a ridiculous, horrible human being. I hope that's how his voice is like all the time. No. Like in the kitchen, like he's cooking and he's just like, Oh, I'm just making some pancakes. Where's the syrup? (laughs) Well, the thing is, I I would compare him to Dharma if we were playing our game. Okay, okay. Because he is known as a remorseful killer. Yeah. However... That doesn't seem remorseful to me. If you listen to that, it seems like someone going, I'm going to fake cry. I don't know about that. I feel like, to me, that sounds, okay, there's a lot of things. So you and I, in our time being true crime enthusiasts, have listened to a lot of 911 calls, mm. right? And calls and 999 calls if you're in the UK. Uh, it's, it's the same, but it's a lot more polite. Um, but essentially, like, it's really difficult to gauge whether someone's serious, sincere, lying, faking. It's really, really hard. And we always think we can. But listening to that, if you listen to that and you go like, oh, that's so weird. But I listen to that and I'm kind of like, that just sounds like a guy with a weird voice calling the police, freaking out. No, but his, um, you'll find out later, his wife, his ex-wife and his sister testified that the voice sounded like his, but that he was putting a voice on. Mm. It's very much... It is, it's basically a fact that he was putting a voice on. Yeah, he, was putting, think, he was making his voice higher pitched. And that might have just been because he was crying. But also when I cry, which you've seen me do many times. Many times. My voice goes high, but it's still, it doesn't sound like that. Like that sounds warped. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, well, I just have a bad opinion of him. So I, I, I'm thinking it's probably fake, but who knows? <laughs> if your voice started doing that just because you were crying, like mm. it's literally a switch from A to B. It's just like... Look, we're having this really important conversation. I'm try- oh my God, I'm about to start crying. Oh, I just don't think we That's crazy. Okay, no, I, I, yeah. I don't think I can make a claim on whether he's remorseful or not. No, I don't think that's yet. for us to say. So just give, me, give me some more info. Okay, so he claimed to stab somebody with an ice pick and you just heard him weepily describe what he'd done mm-hmm. and, you know, say, oh, I can't stop myself. Um, so the police get to the scene because they trace it back to the, the phone booth because um, it's the 1980s, they trace it back to the phone booth and just look around there. They find the body of Kimberly Compton. And just as the weepy-voiced killer had said, she was stabbed with an ice pick. She'd been stabbed 61 times. Jesus. And did not survive. Oh, She man. was dead. Um, and I was reading a lot of articles. The information about this online is quite sparse. Um, it's all spread out and some of them are a bit conflicting, but I've tried to collate it as best I can. So one source said she'd been strangled with a shoelace and stabbed 61 times. So... Did you... Did no, did anything say the cause of death? 
No, it just said no. she had also been strangled with a shoelace. So maybe he was strangling her with the shoelace to keep her still and stabbing her at the same time. Or maybe the shoelace yeah. thing is just, there was a shoelace it, it near almost, her and it was a false account. It almost doesn't really, you know, it's, it's like um, causal overdetermination. Mm. It's like, yeah, yeah, no, you're strangled or you're hit in the head with an ice pick. It almost doesn't no, matter. These were mostly in her chest. So 61 stab wounds with an ice pick to the chest. Yeah, she's, it doesn't really matter about the shoelace, no, she's, does she's, it? Yeah, she's, yeah. So unfortunately, she, she, did, um, she did die. And two days after her body was found, they received another call, which I'm also going to play for oh, you. Good. And this is the one in particular, which I find really, this is the one that makes me think he's faking. And you'll see why in a moment, because I'm going to play it. Here we go. Don't talk, just listen. I'm sorry what I did to Compton. I couldn't help it. Don't know why I had to stab her. I am so upset about it. I keep getting drunk every day. I can't believe it. It's like a big dream. I can't think of being locked up. If I get locked up, I'll kill myself. I'd rather kill myself than get locked up. I'll try not to kill anybody else. Like... Oh, I'll try not to kill anyone else. Like, oh, sorry, I punched you the other day when I got really mad. I'll try never to do it again. No, yeah. just don't do it. Uh, I don't know. I feel like you're you're being a lot blunter towards this gentleman than I am. And that's perhaps because you know the end of the story or something. But well, I mean, even for me, at this I listen point... to that and like, you know, killers like Jeffrey Dahmer. Mm. You say things like, he, he says things like, I, it was an impulse, I couldn't not do it. And it's like, you know, if you have kleptomania and you're stealing something, you have a, you have a psychological illness. Mm. Now... You also can do things to get rid of your psychological illness. And it's your fault if you don't seek help in that sense, in the same way mm. of seeking help to not kill people. But just saying don't do it about a guy who's clearly very sick. No, but you know what I mean. It's it's the fact that he's there like, oh, I'll try not to do it. And later, and in, um, <clears throat> in a, a clip that I'll play in a minute, he says something about why haven't you guys caught me yet? Just come catch me. But then he... After he makes these calls, he hangs up and he runs away from the phone booth. So it's like... It does seem very contradictory. It, it seems also, very hypocritical. It also seems quite taunting to me, especially because that clip, the, if you listen to that clip and the other clips like back to back, one of them is like very like... <laughs> yeah, and this one was lower in tone. So yeah, it was more... closer to his normal voice and it was slower, less hysterical and seemed to be in my opinion, more taunting because it was like, oh, I'm sorry what I did to that girl but, Compton. But would, <laughs> would that also, was that most recent phone call just after a murder? No, that was two days after. I think that could also fill into the idea Maybe. that he's not faking, that he's he's actually hysterical. I mean, I'm not any specialist, I'm not specialist of any kind, so mm. I can't really make a judgment. I'm just saying from my very, very biased opinion, I think he's faking and he's taunting the police and he thinks it's funny. I mean, there's a reason he's doing it. Yeah. He, he's playing a game, he, for sure. Well like, that, without well that, a doubt, yeah. where, where, where that comes from <clears throat> is a different story, but is a different sort of question. But like, honestly, he's very clearly playing a game. He yeah. doesn't need to do this. He doesn't need to call the police. If he, if he was regretful and he wanted the police to know, he'd have turned himself in. If he didn't care, he wouldn't have called them. See, that's, that's the one. I was going to play the game at the beginning, but I forgot who the other guy was other than Dharma. So I was going to play the game where I say to serial killers and you guess mm -hmm. what what my guy did. I was going to say Dharma because of the remorseful thing and BTK because BTK, um, Dennis Rader, he sent the police. Some, yeah, he like, taunted the police he taunted many them, times. But also he kind of wanted to be caught. So it was sort of a, 
a mix of this is fun because I get to mess with you and I'm in control, but also, yeah. oh my God, stop this. It's horrible. I get that. Yeah, okay. Okay, so I see that. So that's, that's what I, I see him as. I see him as a mix okay. of those two. Anyhow, so Kimberly Compton, she she died and that call was two days after her body was found. Um, still haven't found the guy, so they're just sort of sat waiting. Um, and a year and a month later, they don't get another call, but they find a body. Mm-hmm. So 33-year-old Kathleen Greening was supposed to go on holiday with her best friend, <clears throat> Carol Kellogg. And Hold up, what? Yeah, I know. I wonder if he's part of the Kellogg dynasty. Oh I didn't look God, into that. Oh my God, that'd be amazing. I know. Oh, imagine being part of the Kellogg dynasty. Quick sidetrack. Did you know that, that crazy fact about cornflakes? Yes, but how tell it were, again. How, like cornflakes were invented to stop monks masturbating. They were, they were created as how a... do? Yeah, they were created as a really cheap material that would make noise and rustle if you moved and they'd put it in the mattresses that monks slept on really so it would make noise to stop you masturbating surely they'd just go to the bathroom and do it there or do it in the shower well i mean like they, they're they sort of being watched for the rest of the time with their other monk buddies oh, fair enough um but like when That's they're asleep so in their bed, how crazy is that because it was so cheap because you could just you could make it, and it wasn't like a super expensive thing. I just think that's hilarious. That like when you're when you're, next time you're digging into a bowl of cornflakes, you can just think like, I'm eating this, and it's not stopping me masturbating. I'm masturbating right now. <laughs> there's an advert going around which is like, when do you eat your cornflakes? And there's some drag queens saying they eat it at like 3 a.m. after a show, and some kids saying they like it in the morning before school. And I can just imagine a monk being like, I like it when I jack off. I like it when I masturbate. <laughs> anyway, so um, yeah, Catherine Greening was supposed to go on holiday. Best friend Carol Kellogg sounds like a lovely thing, and it just gets yeah, destroyed like by this BFF bastard. Holiday. I know. So on July twenty first, nineteen eighty two, Carol shows up at Kathleen's place for breakfast before their trip, but she don't get no breakfast. Um, so she she shows up. They're supposed to have breakfast before they head on their trip. She knocks on the door. No one answers. She goes inside. She starts looking around and she finds Kathleen's naked body face up in the bathtub. Jesus. Imagine how horrible. It's horrible. So police initially thought that her death was actually an accident. And I, I'm speculating that this is possibly because it's not a stabbing like the other ones were. And they didn't receive a, a phone call. Yeah, but that, that doesn't mean you rule it as an accident. No, that no, just no. means you don't say it's this same guy. Yeah, but I mean, if there was no other evidence at the scene... And it's not, and although there are other killings going on in that area, it's not got the trademark of this one guy. Okay, fair enough. You know, it makes sense that it wasn't tied to him until later on, essentially. So we'll come back to her later. Mm -hmm. So 5th of August, 1982, Barbara Simmons, or Simons, was at a bar. And this is so sad. She was talking to her waitress and she was quite drunk. And she said, I hope this man is nice. Um who offered her a ride home she said he's cute i hope he's nice since he's giving me a ride home i i hope i don't get murdered by this guy jesus she gets murdered by the guy yeah i figured otherwise that wouldn't be irony yeah um and so she was found the next day um different sources say different things she either had 40 stab wounds or over a hundred oh christ either way massive overkill it's a lot of stabbings yeah, um, and there's a clip, uh, in in the clip from the Weepy Voiced Killer, it says 40, but he probably wasn't counting. Yeah, there are so. there are other reports, conflicting reports, I understand. Yeah, okay, here we go. Fire emergency. Please don't talk to this person. I'm sorry, I killed that girl. I stabbed her 40 times. Kimberly Compton was the first one. Oh, my God. I don't know what to 
gonna kill myself I think. Where are you? Oh, I'm gonna, I, if somebody dies with a red kid on it's me, I kill both <laughs> I'm sorry. I know that's really serious. But, but it's like, it's funny because he's an asshole and we're laughing at his yeah, weepy like, voice. I know, but it's just like if you took all of the, the articulation out of that and you just took the phrases out of that, it literally sounds like a little puppy whining. Mm. It just sounds like... <laughs> also, something that I've noticed from listening to these clips, he says, don't talk, just listen. I'm sorry I killed... And then he says either that girl or the name of the person. Mm-hmm. And he always says, like, oh, I'm so upset. I won't get into heaven. I, I'm going to kill myself. I won't. I don't want to go to prison. If I go to prison, I'll kill myself. Oh, I really don't want to go to prison. He has these phrases that he keeps repeating again and again. Like a script. Exactly. So that's another reason I think maybe he's just playing with the police. He's like, oh, I'll kill them. Then I'll call up and say, sorry, I killed her. Oh, no, I won't go to heaven. Also, in a weird way, apart from the previous one, which happened, which didn't happen just after a murder, mm. I know this is going to sound strange, but it's all a very consistent tone. Yes. Whereas when you're crying over a p- different at different points in your life, you're not going to have exactly the same sort of I don't know what the vocal equivalent of a gate is, but your 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 same linguistic your linguistic cadence. signature, like the cadence of your voice, exactly. Mm. Like it's not going to be exactly the same. He's literally exactly the same and even within clips like when i'm crying but i'm trying to tell someone something i'll stop myself clear my throat you know or even if i'm in a rush i'll consciously try and lower my tone if i'm getting high and hysterical which he isn't but he's calling them up to tell them something yeah so if he was actually you know what i mean like being that hysterical i'm amazed he can hold a phone yeah well there you go so i'm again Leaning towards I, I, it being I'm fake. Starting, I'm starting to You're see s- your point. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I'm yeah. glad You're, I'm swaying you. Right, continue. Um, so, he's done, a, he's done, what was that? One attack, three murders so far. And now he moves on to 19-year-old Denise Williams. She was approached by a man. This, this guy. The man. The man. On the 21st of August, 1982. So that's three within one year, all in 82. Whereas previously there'd been a year-long gap between the others. So he's obviously, this is escalation. You can see the escalation. Yeah. yeah. So she was a sex worker, um, which meant it wasn't it wasn't weird when this man drove up to her and rolled, rolled down the window. Yeah. She just thought, okay, a client. And they, they did make a deal. Um, they had some sort of arrangement of what the services she'd provide would be. And so she got in his car so they could drive to a different destination because, you know, they're not just going to fuck in the street, are you? Mm-hmm. Um, so she's in the car and then he turns down a poorly lit road that she knows doesn't lead the way that he said they were going Right. and she thinks this guy might be trouble and she looks around her and she sees that there's a glass bottle on in the wheel well in the footwell of her seat mm-hmm. and she goes okay if he causes any trouble I'll grab that and I'll smash it on him and we find out later she's actually had um defense training what's that called like martial arts self-defense something defending of the self is normally referred to as self-defense yep i had a little bit of a brain fart but yeah so she so she's had self-defense training and her her coach actually said aim for the eyes and face if you can so she's there thinking all right i'll get this glass bottle i'll aim for the eyes and the rest of his face and i'll just you know fuck him up yeah also excellent advice for defending oneself against zombies Oh yeah, because you chop their heads off, don't yeah. you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just, just for the listeners out there who might be worried, I know I am. Yep. So, 
<laughs> so, um, sure enough, he stopped the car and he began stabbing her with a screwdriver. Jesus. So he just had a screwdriver in his car and just, for no apparent reason, starts stabbing her. So after she's been stabbed a few times, she manages to grab this bottle and she does indeed smash it over his head. And she tries to get out of the car and he tumbles out with her. And they have sort of a cartoony, tumbly style fight, except way more serious and horrible because they're both being severely injured. In 3D. Yeah, (laughs) basically. Um, But she was screaming and this alerted a man who lived nearby. So he came running over and he tried to intervene, which meant that the weepy voiced killer got up, freaked out and ran off. What what did you say this, uh, this girl's name was? Denise Williams. She's done everything right. Everything you know, she, right. She noticed the warning signs. She prepared herself for an eventual thing. When she was fighting, she made, she clearly, I think it was I th- it was almost certainly like a conscious decision to scream loudly. Mm-hmm. He's already driven down a dark alleyway and someone actually found it. And she's, did, I imagine she survived. She did yeah, survive, that's fantastic. Yeah. That's, uh, she's and done everything right. Also, can I just say, she's a sex worker who has had self-defense training. That's Good call. excellent preparation because like you said earlier, they are seen as the less dead and even when they're living, you know, they are respected less by other people. So the chances of you being assaulted or just, you know, taken advantage of. Yeah, absolutely. It's, 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 it would be a great idea to have just to, just, just to know. Exactly. So, you know, she's good on her. She's 19 as well. She's like, done really well. I'm, very I'm impressive. very impressed. Yeah, so um, this man who, who ran over to help, bless him, uh, there wasn't a name, unfortunately. I did want to, you know, give him a whoop whoop, but... Yeah, you go, guy. Yeah, and girl, because she did great. Um, so yeah, the stabber fled, and he went over and helped Denise out, called an ambulance for her. And later on, he helped identify the man who'd attacked her. So he was instrumental in the conviction as well. Wow. Yeah. So due to the injuries Denise had caused him... The weepy-voiced killer sought medical treatment. He called up the the emergency services and requested medical and I, treatment. Oh my god! And obviously, he's called them before, and they're keeping it. They've they've just found a girl attacked, so they're expecting a call from the weepy-voiced killer anyway, because that was his mo. Yeah, the stabbing. So he calls up, and the operator goes, "I swear, I've heard this guy's voice before." So they go to treat him, and they apprehend him. He was charged with attempted second-degree assault. Is that it? No. That's what he was charged with when he was immediately apprehended. Because right, because that's all the, thing that they, all the evidence they have. Because obviously yeah, yeah, Denise okay, went, okay. yeah, that guy, look at those injuries that he called in for. I did those to him. I fucked him up. Mm. And her self-defense <clears throat> teacher actually said, yeah, that's consistent with what I've taught her to do. So yeah. he backed up her testimony that the injuries caused were by her. Mm-hmm. Um, so... They actually only found evidence for this second degree assault and one murder, the murder of Barbara Simons. And he couldn't be tied to any of the others. So Barbara Simons was the girl who said, he's cute, I hope he's nice. Yeah. um, And had either 100 or 40 stab wounds. So that's all they found. And this guy was called Paul Michael Stefani. Okay. So he, he gets charged and convicted of second degree assault and one murder. But he's pretty much put away for life. So they're like, right, we know that there are oral similarities between the the calls that the weepy-voiced killer made and this guy. We know that there are similarities. We know he probably did it. But saying that the voice sounded similar is not enough evidence. Yeah, it's not enough. Even handwriting is not enough evidence to convict. And and that's more consistent. 
like I said earlier, his sister and his ex-wife did testify and said, yeah, those calls did sound like him. But there's not much you can do with mm. people just saying, yeah, it sounds a bit like him because a lot of people sound similar. And also he was putting it on. So maybe if someone else was putting it on, they'd sound yeah. exactly the same. So, I mean, my impression was spot on. Spot on. I could have been a suspect. Okay, so this guy, Paul Michael Stefani, he is the Weepy Voice Killer. He was born on the 8th of September, 1944. He was raised in Austin, Minnesota, and was one of ch 10 children in this highly religious family. Highly? <laughs> highly religious family. Um, he married this woman and had a daughter with her. Literally no other information on it, which I'm not surprised by. I wouldn't want people to know that my kid was, baby daddy was this weepy voiced killer. I mean, the mum's got it bad enough. She's got to deal with a husband who's a murderer, a kid who's probably inherited that voice. <laughs> She's probably just got it real bad. Well, they did They did get divorced. So they married and divorced, but they had a daughter together. Okay. He was previously convicted of aggravated assault. Mm -hmm. So he had a record. He also had a history of mental illness. And none of my sources told me what the mental illness actually was. But we know that he was mentally ill in yeah, some it was probably, way. It was probably something very severe, but you, so you haven't been given any details. About no, it. none at all. Okay. Um, the only thing that I, I did find was that he said it was sort of blackout-esque in terms of he didn't intend to kill any of these people or attack any of these people. You know, the first one, um, what was her name? Compton? No, Karen Potak. He didn't mean that was the one a head full of champagne he thought she looked cold yeah. and wanted to offer her some coffee um but it's uh, annoyingly what was it like he tried to offer her some coffee but he realized by the time he handed it to her he was actually holding a knife yeah oh i always get coffee and knives mixed up <laughs> it's a it's it's very entertaining and sad watching me cook because i keep cooking and i'm just like this is just a hot liquid <laughs> I'm not slicing. <laughs> this isn't cutting anything. I think it's blunt. <laughs> this liquid isn't doing the slicing right. So, so yeah, so I did see him saying, oh, yeah, I intended on giving her a, a ride and a cup of coffee or, oh, yeah, I intended to have sex with this sex worker. And next thing I knew, she was dead. You know, mm -hmm. like it was, so maybe he had some sort of dissociative thing. I don't know. But that's the, that's literally the only thing that I found that is yeah. vaguely related to mental illness. Blackout periods are a tricky one because they're very good excuses. Exactly. And they're very hard to verify. Exactly. Like on Made in Chelsea, the people who cheat on each other always say like, oh yeah, I just, I got so drunk I blacked out. I don't know if I had sex with this girl that wasn't my girlfriend. Who knows? And for those of you who are listening and don't know what Made in Chelsea is, you know that stereotype of rich, arrogant English twats just being like, oh yeah, this is only one of my many ponies. Oh, darling. Oh, what is this? Is this crab filleted in orphan's tears? Oh, <laughs> how divine. <laughs> oh, Reginald. Oh, my God. Re little Reggie. That's a little, little Reggie. Reggie. Yeah. Little Reggie no dick. Any anyway, yeah. so Made in Chelsea is a TV show that follows the lives of young and extravagantly rich people who cheat on each other and get drunk. And that's pretty much the storyline for all, what, 15 seasons? It's great. I love it. Um... Yeah, so that's the only mental illness stuff that I could find, really. He was a hospital janitor and a shipping clerk, but he kept losing his jobs. And he blamed the epilepsy that he had on one of his old jobs. He said he got it from that job. Um, it didn't say what job it was. Yeah, because that's how epilepsy works. Definitely. Um, and he got really angry that he kept getting fired. So he returned to this factory where he was a shipping clerk, where he picked up Potak, um, the first victim. And he just got mad 
And that's how he did that first murder, he said. He just got angry. But that conflicts with what he said earlier about, oh, he's just going to give her a ride or whatever. Yeah. So... He's trying to wriggle out of it. He is, basically. But he he tried to blame his jobs and mm-hmm. how angry he was at his jobs on that. Yeah. But, I mean, no. I get it. That's just an excuse, really. Um, And here's the thing. We know that he did the other murders because despite the fact there wasn't much evidence, he got diagnosed with cancer in 1997. And he was told he had less than a year to live. And he thought, okay, well, I should probably just fess up then if I'm going to die soon anyway. So he confessed to every single murder, except the one he was actually convicted of. Was that the first one he was convicted of? No, he was convicted of the bathtub one. No, you said he was convicted of the second one with the ice pick, wasn't it? Yes, ice pick one. Sorry, my bad. That's actually really interesting because a lot of killers, sort of the the one they regret is the first one. Like John Wayne Gacy, the only person he regrets killing is the boy who made him breakfast. Oh, yeah. And he killed him. Like, that's the only one. Dharma has like this really, uh, had that really horrible thing about the first guy he killed he picked up a hitchhiker and killed him and then he like didn't kill anyone for like six years oh, and yeah. then went to the army and like became even more of an alcoholic to try and forget about the first mm. victim so um, it's interesting that it's the second one he is the only one who doesn't actually just looking back through my notes it was the third that so not the first so it wasn't the first one he killed it was the third one so it goes it goes um stabbing but survived ice pick bathtub stabbing hope he's nice and that's the one yeah okay okay um and then there was the one that survived with the bottle yeah so it was his third assault second murder anyhow so that's the one that he was convicted of he didn't actually confess to it but he did confess to all the others and thank god he did because it means the families can actually finally stop thinking was it is this the same guy or is there some other guy out there yeah it's that that sort of thing is really difficult yeah like it's 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 hard enough losing someone like that but then not having this little element of closure yeah just, and also, it, it's, it's scary as well, because it's not just, oh, was it the cancer or the pneumonia or, like, some other illnesses? Those are the two I could think of. But, you know, was it one or the other that ended up causing the death of so-and-so? It's it's Was it this man who is in jail and we are safe from, or was it somebody else who we still have to worry about? That's just yeah. another level of fear on top of all your sadness. So, thank God he, he, um, he confessed. And he dared... He died at the age of 43 in prison of the cancer. Mm. Good riddance. How long did he live after he was given a year to live? I don't know. I think he died pretty shortly after. Mm, fair. So, again, the information on this is so sparse. Um, but I think that you, you, like, you persevere. When you're researching someone, mm. if there's one element where you're just like, yes... You persevere, even if there's a small amount of information. And the clips were outstanding. Well, yeah. And also the the whole, you know, with the shoelace or 100 times yeah. or 40 times, that was the stuff where I purposefully cross-referenced because I was like, this is important. This is an MO. This is yeah. his trademark. And also, the, I really needed the clips, didn't I? Because that they is... Were, they were great. Yeah. I'm glad you enjoyed them. Um, yeah, so... If anyone knows of any books or anything on this guy, that would be quite good to give people a shout out for more information that isn't just sewn together from the internet. Because, yeah. like I said, very sparse. That was a really cool story, the weepy-voiced killer. Mm. Nice. So really what, interesting. What have we had? We've had Reginald Christie. <laughs> Lil Reggie Nodick. Yeah, Lil Reggie Nodick and the weepy-voiced killer. Yeah, fantastic. So, uh, yeah, if you guys want to get in contact with us, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, the Instagram is Killing It Crimecast and the Twitter is Killing It Crime. 
And you can find us on the Apple Podcasts app. And please do give us ratings and reviews. They would really help boost our listenership. Because apparently, if you rate us well, we get put higher up in the searches or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that would be super awesome. We're, yeah. having, we're having a lot of fun doing it. Uh, please let us know if you're having fun listening. Yeah, and if you're not, maybe just don't tell us. Yeah, just don't tell us. Just we're, stop listening. We're delicate little snowflakes. Yeah. So yeah, we'll uh, we'll see you guys on the next one. See ya.